Welcome to episode 109 of Redboard Rewind. My name is Spencer Luganbuehl, and today my special guest is another of the In The Money Media family. It is horse player renowned and NBC analyst Matt Bernier. Me and Matt talk about four races from this past Saturday at Saratoga, those races being race 2, 4, 9, and 10. And some angles that we talk about are... How when looking at a workout, you want to see who rode the horse and in what company the horse was running against. How me and Matt were both anti-Raging Bull. And how Matt also has a bet back from one of the early races we talk about. This is Red Board Rewind. It's the same old And now I'd like to welcome in my special guest, the ever so patient Matt Bernier, TV's <laughs> Matt Bernier. Matt, how are you today? I'm good, Spencer. Third time's the charm. It sounds like we're we're up and running. Uh, special shout out to uh, Craig for getting me started. Uh, <laughs> always good when the uh, Audacity audio settings put you on computer and not USB for your microphone. So glad to get that out of the way. How have you been? I'm good, man. I um, I, I was mentioning it to you earlier this time of the year at Saratoga is always bittersweet simply because I know we are almost at the end of the summer, but we still have great racing still to come up at the spa. So I, I'm a little, I'm sad that we're going into the fall and not that I dislike the fall, but the summer is my favorite season and uh, we still get some good racing, but I think now we're starting to see different pictures of different divisions kind of come together where you're starting to see these two-year-olds run more than once more than twice, you know, they're, you're starting to get some form and some idea of what they could end up being. And um, at the same time, you get to see some of these older horses who we've seen run a number of times and they're either confirming what you thought they were, or they're kind of making you think twice. I'm sure we'll talk about some of that, but yeah, no, all's well looking forward to, I'm supposed to get up there for the Travers and then for a few days, including the jockey club weekend. So uh, should be a good time. Pete, uh, Pete got me out to uh, do the Brentwood show for Travers, so I'll be surely looking forward to finding a parking spot six miles away and having to get there at about 4 a.m. to uh, walk to the Brentwood. I have not made a a fun, and when I say fun, meaning just a Saratoga run where there's mm-hmm. no work involved in many, many moons. The Travers, I'll be there doing work for ABR, but um, the following week for Jockey Club weekend, going up with my wife, and we're just kind of kicking back and taking it as it comes. I'm going to do the the Brentwood show with Pete that Saturday morning, but I don't really consider that part work. That's just going to go and have some fun and, mm-hmm. and riff for a little bit. But um, yeah, it, it's really, I'm, I'm excited about not just the Travers, but that following week, that should be a good time. Well, I mean, let's even talk about just overall this year so far. Uh, obviously Mike maker winning up a storm Ch- Chad starting off so slowly and, you know, even Todd, you know, not off to the, to the usual standard, what have been your thoughts so far with the connections? And obviously, Louis Sias is on a heater as well. Yeah, I, I think, you know, Irad and Jose are always going to have the the Chad mounts for the most part. And so that never means they're never out of the picture, I guess, in the in the grand scheme of things. But Sias has been just so, so hot right now. And 
I would like to think with the way that he has ridden to this point, I'd like to think he is still the favorite to get the job done to win the riding title and deservedly. So he's just been fantastic uh, from a trainer standpoint. Yeah. Mike makers barn is just, they're, they're rolling along right now. And Chad's starting to heat up a little bit. I think the one I'm most surprised about seeing how the fast start they got off to, to where they are now is the Clement barn. I, I thought Clement's barn was, was really moving in a good, good sort of direction. And not that, you know, we, we know that Christophe Clement knows how to train a horse mm-hmm. or two. It just, for whatever reason, they're not finding the winner's circle over the past few weeks compared to some of the other barns that we alluded to. So uh, those would be my takeaways from sort of a connection standpoint, the racetrack, you know, it's been much talked about the main track being as tilted towards speed or speed friendly as it has been. I go back and forth on that because dirt racing in general, you want to be more forward. That's not like we're, you know, it's not rocket science, but I do think at certain configurations, it has been much more important to be forward specifically in those six furlong dirt races, six and a half, seven, maybe you can come from a couple lengths off of it and still be effective, but you know, you still would rather be more forward than trying to rally from off of it. And then the route race is going nine furlongs. You want to be more forward than coming from off of it. So it's, I don't want to sit here and say it's, you know, speed, 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 because really how different is that than any other dirt track in the United States? Well, that's what I love so much. Everyone always goes, oh, it's a speed bias when it really could be a rail bias. And I think uh, we're going to talk about Saturday's races. But when I played Thursday with a bunch of guys from the Slack Pack, when you see guys like Jalen Samuel, who I know doesn't get always get the best mounts, but I had a junior winner that day where junior was handcuffed on the rail, two other horses going by and he came back and won. I said, that's all I need to know bias wise that it's gold rail and obviously speed on dirt is good, but so many people, they, they think it both ways. It's gold rail plus that, but you see some horses come up the rail sometimes. And I definitely feel that day specifically, I thought was a golden rail. Obviously the person to talk to would be Andy throwing and those type of guys who really look for the bias. Not that bias is a big deal with my handicapping, but when you use time form on formulator, you know, if you see closing into blue fractions, you should make a note of it. If you see, you know, speed horses, you know, winning the battle and losing the war, that that's a big angle to me as well. PTF and I talked about it during the happy hour on Thursday, that very argument that many people were saying, oh, speed, speed, speed. And I said, they don't have to be one in the same. Mm -hmm. You know, you can have a gold rail and not really have it be speed, but the optical illusion or the, the common thought is, well, the horse went to the front and won. And I go, well, in all likelihood, when you clear to the front, you go down to the inside, you save as much ground as you possibly can. So you end up on that gold rail and it kind of accentuates that. And to your point, and I brought it up last week, I, that's when you want to keep an eye on the horses from off the pace. If they're making up ground down on the inside, it's not really a speed track. It's more that the inside is where you want to be, yeah. but inherently speed typically carries because they go down to the inside. So you, you can have one without having the other. And I think some people just fall into the, what you brought up, the idea that, oh, it's inside speed. Well, inherently speed's going to do okay if inside is good because they're going to clear to the front and get down there. And I'll also say this, obviously people go, Oh, speed track. The first few races, one wire to wire. Well, when the horses are two to five, six to five and two to one, and those are the winners. Well, those are logical. When Jalen Samuel is going gate to wire on a horse that hasn't seen a board hit in six months. Yeah. I'm going to say, okay, this horse probably got carried by the track a little bit. Yeah, when, you, when you've got an $80 horse that goes out there and gets the job done in the fashion that that horse did, that's when you can look at it and go, because I agree with you. I think too many people are too quick to jump to conclusions. And to your point, when when the horse makes all the sense in the world on paper and they're, you know, eight to five, I go, I, I need more than that for me to really buy into something. And it takes 
an effort like that, where it's kind of a, a horse that on paper you're like, mm, hard for me to even cook up a reason that this horse could really do that sort of thing. That's when, and perhaps there are going to be people that that hear that and say, well, you you've waited too long to take advantage of it. Um, but I'm just always very reluctant to to buy in unless it is something that's abundantly clear. And I I don't know how you feel, Spencer. I'm more interested in taking advantage of bias days in the future as opposed to day of. Uh- because day of, I don't, I don't want to jump to conclusions too early and throw out all the handicapping that I did, you know, in advance. I'd rather take advantage of the horses that were running against the bias on any given day when they come back down the road and try to, maybe you don't make a giant score, but you probably get a couple of points inflated value than maybe you should because of a performance that was against the green. So what I've been doing this whole meet is I've been taking the buyer pars. I've been making a little race note, how many horses ran within the par above the par and we'll talk. We'll talk later about a horse asking for the Baskin, who apparently that race that the horse is coming out of has come back to be terrible with that high ninety three buyer that the horse won with. And I, I never. I'm with you. A lot of times for me when I'm making notes, I'm not making it for that day. Obviously, if a horse has six out of eight siblings win it two, and the the mom and dad both won debut, yeah, that horse is win early pedigree. But I'm more. Let me make this note now, and three months later, when I have this note and everyone else has forgotten it. And this horse is nine to one and he's had, you know, four speed favoring tracks in a row and he's a dead closer. And now it seems to be more of a closer bias. Oh, the horse wins and pays 26 to one. Oh, nobody can have this horse. Well, I have notes that say the last four trips were garbage. And now I get 26 to one when he doesn't have to be my top contender. He could be my third or fourth where I'm trying to get six or eight to one on the horse. And now he's still triple that. Like that's how people make money in this game. It's not the fact I have a friend going through a really bad slump with top picks. He was three for his last 40. I said, but are your contenders winning? And he goes, well, what do you mean? I said, well, are your third and second choice winning? He goes, yeah, for the most part. I said, then your handicapping's fine. You're just not putting them in the right order. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think of that from a trainer's standpoint, when you see a trainer who's I'm making it up one for 25, but they've got nine or 10 second or third place finishes. It, to me, that's more just kind of bad luck than anything yeah. else. It's not that the horses aren't running. It'd be one thing if you were zero for 30 and you've had two hit the board. Yeah ice cold i'm going to probably look at that barn and say even if i like the horse i got to downgrade him a little bit yeah when when you still have a decent percentage of them hitting the board but you just don't have them getting into the winner's circle i'm more inclined to look at it and go it's just a bad run right now as far as your luck is concerned i'd like to think that at some point things are going to level out for you so let's take a let's take a step back we're gonna to go to the past i watched a show that i know you were greatly part of horse players for esquire network <laughs> Let's uh, let me just kind of get your thoughts now that obviously it's been a couple of years. I uh, I'm starting to try and get back into tournaments, so obviously I wanted to rewatch that show, knowing that it was more of a tournament centric show. How much do you think you learned from everyone else on that show with you, being how young you were at the time? Oh, it was enormous. Um, the The way that I've kind of explained it to people was I was afforded a college education in the handicapping realm that isn't available to basically anyone. I, I had the the luxury of learning different things from different people on that cast. And it really ran the gambit of not just handicapping, but thinking of things, especially from someone like Christian yeah, from a probability standpoint, as opposed to, Oh, I picked the winner. Well, that's all well and good. If it's just sort of an ego driven piece, but if you're looking at it big picture and tying it in with contests, you know, probability is really important and being able to correctly identify and objectively identify 
not getting so sucked into your your own tendencies or your own desires to see if you've got a favorite horse or a favorite trainer or favorite jockey or any of that kind of stuff. You really need to kind of remove yourself from that if you're being objective about how likely is this horse to run well today and not even run well, but to necessarily win the race or vice versa. So, um, I, I mean, I learned an enormous amount. I think it's sort of the foundation of it. It, it brought me from being very, very green to having a better sense of all of the pieces that go into this game that you need to, you don't need to be brilliant at all of them because very few people are, but you just need to have a good understanding of many of them to be able to be, I would say adequate's not the right word because that makes it sound really, really kind of low bar, but you you need to have a good chance. You need to be proficient in all aspects. You don't Mm -hmm. need to be exceptional in all of them, but you need to really understand how, all of the parts of the game work, in my opinion. Well, I think so, too. And just from watching the game and reading so many books like I have in the past, so many people, they look at their dirt route racing and they're like, OK, I like this winner. When if they, if people went back and we talk about, you know, using bias for later on, if people just looked at their stats once a month and realized, holy crap, my ROI in maiden races is four dollars and everything else is under a dollar. And you're playing pick fives with no maiden races in it. It's kind of like you shoot yourself in the foot and you don't understand Oh, I should be using seven to eight percent of my bankroll maiden races and using two to three percent in all the other races and look at oh my god, all of a sudden it's changed. Even this year I'm probably putting my biggest handle through the through the window, which is not a lot, which doesn't mean that I'm a bad player or a good player, because the way I, I describe it is if I bet a hundred dollars a day and someone bets a thousand, but I average a twenty percent return on investment, I mean technically I'm a better handicapper than you. I don't care what kind of bets you are playing. I the the numbers that that's what's so great about you know, reading books on, on betting two plus two still equals four. You cannot change that number. hundred percent. And, and I, I'm glad you brought up the point of leaning into what you're good at. And again, record keeping is really the only way that you can go through and, and truly identify your strengths and your weaknesses, as opposed to what you think in your head, you're actually good at, or maybe you struggle with, but leaning into where you actually I don't want to say have an edge, although that's in reality what you're looking for. If you have an edge over the rest of the handicapping public that goes about certain things. But I know after enough time that, and we joke about it, turf sprints. If I never had to bet another one, I wouldn't. (laughs) And the only reason I do is if they're in a contest or they're Mm -hmm. part of a sequence that I'm, you know, I, I guess that's another piece and not to totally just like go off on a tangent, but from a betting standpoint, I typically stick to win bets and doubles on a day-to-day basis that's where i feel most comfortable i'm not afraid to play a pick five or a pick six there's another carryover coming up on wednesday at saratoga but i know over the long run though i'm not nearly as strong or my roi is not nearly as high as it is when i just stick to win betting and double betting and i think a lot of that has to do with a piece that you just brought up you know a bankroll standpoint i'm not someone even now my, my philosophy has not changed a great deal from the horse player show to this point. Now, yeah. when it comes to the amount of money that I'm going to put through, yeah, I'll probably bet a little bit more now than I would have back then when I didn't have anything, but you know, I'm still not someone that's comfortable sitting there betting a thousand dollars on a day. I'm going to find a couple spots. If I feel really frisky, I'll bet 50 or a hundred bucks. If not, uh, I'm totally content being a $20 win better and I don't think that reflects poorly upon me. It's just everyone has different different thresholds of what they 
can do and frankly what they should do you know the last thing you want to do is go betting over your head i don't care how impressive you are as a handicapper there's still an element of luck in this game and you could perfectly analyze something and have something unforeseen happen and if you've bet too much or you've bet you know above your means then you're 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 going to go to the poorhouse pretty quick so um i tim i typically after all these years i for the most part stay away from multi-race bets I will dive into, again, a pick four or a pick five when there's a carryover with a pick six, but only if I love some horses during that sequence. I won't just play just to play. And on a day-to-day basis, I still stick, for the most part, to win betting and double betting. And you also factor in the certain kinds of races that you know you are good at and the mm-hmm. ones that you struggle with. I struggle with turf sprints. I struggle on off-the-track day, or excuse me, off-the-turf off days. For whatever reason, off-tracks, Despite the fact that the MTOs, there's a reason that they're entered MTO, I, I still just have a hard time figuring those days out. So my handle will dramatically decrease. And I'll say, you know what? Good news is I'll come back tomorrow when the weather's a little bit nicer. I will say the one day I'm sure you're happy they were off the track or off the turf was uh, Derby Day with Orb. I mean, that was probably a nice little hit, 75 to 1 based off the horse. Or based well, and the, 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 the best thing about that. That too was, again, kind of babe in the woods trying to figure things out on the fly. I, this is where, this just goes to show where I was at that point from a handicapping standpoint. We go to Pimlico two weeks later for the Preakness. Um, a couple guys had Oxbow because mm-hmm. of the way the Derby was run. Mm-hmm. I was still fanboy. Like, look, I was right. <laughs> I was right on Orb. We're going to keep going. He's going to win the Triple Crown. And in hindsight now, all these years later, oh, and I, let me finish. Three weeks later, we go to Belmont Park. Everyone has Palace Malice. I have him nowhere. And again, it's the dynamics of the way the Derby was run. Those horses that were up there on the front with such a ridiculous pace, they they stood to benefit much more than a horse like Orb, who had the run of the race that day because the thing completely fell apart. Oxbow and Palace Malice were two of the horses that actually ran very, very well in the Derby, given the dynamics of the race. And with more favorable situations like they got in the Preakness and the Belmont, they were able to take advantage and they paid probably in hindsight much more than they should have but that at that time, I wasn't wired to think like that. I was still very much, no, oh, man, I was right. Let's keep it going. Yeah. It's like, well, you're probably not going to get everything that works out so ideally the way that it did the first Saturday in May that year. And again, in hindsight, I, I'm not, you know, not breaking any news here. Orb was a, he was a fine horse. He was no superstar. He was good. Everything lined up for him. He got good at the right time. And, you know, for most of the Derby winners, that's what you need. You just need to be you need to be good at the right time and you need to have the dynamics of a race play out in your favor. I can't agree more with you there. Let's move into the first of our four races for this week. Race number two from Saratoga on Saturday. Maiden special weight, 100,000 is the purse, six and a half on the dirt. What do we like in here, Matt? So I was really interested in the inside runner, Soar, for Ma and Junior Alvarado. We'll talk about that combo later on. You know, I. The, the workout reports from the Daily Racing Forum said that this one coming out of that maiden or the uh, the career debut, rather, really woke up on the main track. And you take a look and you see the workouts from down at Belmont on the training track. I mean, you've got bullet after bullet, even a solid drill that wasn't a bullet in the most recent one on August 7th. My, my only concern was, could he stay close enough mm-hmm. to the front? And we talked about the dynamics of the way the main track is played six and a half, seven. Yeah. Maybe you can get away with being a couple off of it, but you still really need to be that much more superior than the pace horses to take advantage. Um, Another handicapping thing that I've kind of used in the past yielding turf to the dirt. If there's enough, 
if it's a, an outfit that I trust and there's enough dirt in the pedigree to make me think that you're going to be able to get through that a yielding turf is not the easiest thing for horses to get through. And if you can handle the main track, which again, based on workouts, this one had been handling it in the mornings very, very well. It made me think, all right, well, we're going to have enough of a bottom that distance isn't going to be an issue. Maybe if we can stay within shouting distance, this one can take advantage. Um, unfortunately, it didn't quite work out, but it was it was far from a, a poor performance from sort. I, I, I love the fact that you bring up the, the yielding turf. I mean, how many times do we see someone go, oh, this horse looked terrible first time turf. And I'm like, well, it was yielding. Maybe it was in a sprint that day as well. Now they're stretching out. It's like there's so many different, uh, different things that can happen to a horse from one start to the next. And everyone just kind of goes, no, 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 no good. And I'm like, well, I mean, if you don't think a firm course compared to a yielding course is any different, then uh, I have a bridge I can sell you out in uh, <laughs> <laughs> out in California. Asking for a Baskin for me. I, I Listen, I, I get it. Jeremiah has been, quote, unquote, cold. He had a nice winter on Thursday. John Velasquez, I don't know what's going on this meet. I'm just hoping that it's just one of those meets that he just either isn't riding that well or just, you know, maybe he's gonna. someone said he's going to turn more into, you know, Mike Smith where maybe he's going to ride once or twice a day and just have that be it. The, the back-to-back 93s, when you do it once and it was a muddy track, it's like, okay, well, can you do it again? Well, he did. And then the top two out of that race ran above the par as well. This one and the winner, Ducal, who ended up scratching out of a race later today or later on Saturday. I just wanted this one when I saw the price too. It probably should have scared me off more because why is this horse above even money when there's other horses in here that really can't run to that one? I thought sticky issue with Santana and Peter Walder were a little bit interesting with that 77. Obviously, big jockey change going to Santana on the dirt. Peter Walder, I think, has been very interesting. Only two seconds and eight starts, but I like the fact that he has some horses up here, and I just thought that you can kind of get out of this leg with either of those for me it was asking for a basket on top for matt is the inside horse sore let's see who can break their maiden right now and they're off asking for a baskin was off a step slow from the outside, it is Laughing Boy who goes out for the lead. Immortalization is there in second with Flint Ridge now moving up in between horses and Ubiquitous down towards the rail. Then it is Soar who is racing in fifth, followed by Sticky Issue in sixth. Asking for a basket on the outside is in seventh. Then comes Sound Money who is running in eighth. And far the back, Can You Hear Me Now, trails the field in ninth. And the opening quarter was 21 and four-fifth seconds, so they are moving right along. It is Flint Ridge and Ubiquitous, who's down at the rail, and now asking for a Baskin, has moved up and into third as they race around the far turn. Ubiquitous down at the rail. Flint Ridge in between horses. Asking for a Baskin on the outside. Sound money will need some racing room. On the extreme outside is... Laughing Boy, and then comes Soar, who's behind a wall of horses. The half-mile went in 45 seconds. It is ubiquitous, closest to the rail. Flint Ridge right alongside the two of them, right together as they pass the eighth pole. Flint Ridge and ubiquitous, and they continue to duel it out through the stretch with Sound Money now moving into third. And now Flint Ridge has taken over, and Flint Ridge has won it at a price. Then ubiquitous, sound money and soar. And the number four, Flint Ridge wins, paying twenty-five forty, with a nice buyer of eighty-two. Nice improvement off that debut. And if you had a uh, most improved jockey or trainer, or et cetera, for, like they do in the NBA, mine would be Dylan Davis. And people know on this podcast, I have not been the biggest fan of Dylan, but man, he is riding lights out, unlike what his percentage says he has been. 
I was going to say probably I, I, out kicking his number at this point. Yes. You know, it, it may only say 13%, but I think he's riding every bit as well as that, if not better. And, it, you know, for a horse like this, if you're trying to go back and second guess, you know, I, I didn't love the debut, but the horse took a ton of money was bet down to five to two in the debut. I think that's always something to take note of. Even with a poor performance, there was something that led the connections of the public to bet this one the way that they did. Blinkers going on for the second career start is always something that you want to keep an eye on. And then that bullet on on July 31st and 59 and three, I mean, that was an earned bullet. And I know some folks want to talk about the way, you know, it's not necessarily how fast they go. It's how they go fast, that sort of thing. I still look at it and go with an equipment change. All of a sudden you're popping a bullet in the morning and for an outfit like Joe Sharps, who, you know, he hasn't had a ton of runners, but they've run when, when they have shown up in the afternoons, um, you know, you could, I, I suppose you could make a, a case to go back and say this one made a lot more sense. I was also curious though, from a running style standpoint, I didn't know that we would get that much more early speed. Like we did, this one was in and amongst that, you know, top Vanguard, if you will, right from jump, which I think, again, given the dynamics and the way that the track has played, uh, that certainly helped us cause. I, I think, though, too, and this is something where I, I do take my notes and Dylan Davis in the last two or three weeks has had four runners every single week. there, 10 to one or higher hitting the board mm-hmm. when you can kind of zero in on that, you know, five to 15 in the jockey standings. That's bringing these horses home. Usually it's Eric Cancel as well. He's a, he's off to a cold start, but I think Dylan specifically, I people I've heard people you know, damn Dylan Davis again. They keep saying it, and I don't think anyone's really making that that switch because everyone's so. And listen, I I agree. Saez and the Ortiz brothers, they must be upgraded. But Dylan, I think, is probably that fourth one you have to upgrade, not just turf dirt, short or long, just in any situation right now because he is just riding so well. Uh, like you said with Joe, four for sixteen is what I had at this time. For what he was, they also paid three hundred twenty thousand dollars for the horse. You know, when they run a sixty-six and they get bet down, and I get it, failed to respond at the at the level. But second time, second time start with a blinker change with the bullet. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff here that if you are have this horse third or as a B or maybe even a C, like this is the type of one that I think maybe should be upgraded to an A if you're going two or three deep in the race. Yeah, especially knowing this is part of the early pick five. And, and these are the kind of races that unless you know something or you've heard that there's a standout there in the morning or, you know, and we'll talk about asking for a basket in a moment. The idea of if there's going to be some standout that you're, no one can really run with. This is the kind of horse, though, that if you are so inclined and you're brave enough and you've got enough of a budget that, yeah, you can certainly upgrade from a C to a B or a B to an A. And this is the kind of horse that can blow up an entire sequence to really get you paid. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe I kind of overlooked a couple different things. You brought up the 82 buyer, you know, I'll be very curious to see first time against winners, what this one does. Granted, we're talking about three-year-olds, not babies, but um, this is a horse that you would think with that nice progression from start one to start two, no reason you can't see another forward move from start two to start three, wherever that may be. Another one that improved was ubiquitous running second with a 77 buyer at 17 to one. Obviously the bullets since the, the war or since the last race in January are fantastic. Manny to me has been like the most unreliable jockey in the top 10. Usually if you're a top 10 jockey and you're under 10%, that's a little underwhelming for me. And Safi has been about ice cold as the Titanic head in iceberg at this point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it certainly hasn't been the smoothest meat for the Joseph barn, but you know, this one, you you couple the really lengthy layoff. Haven't seen this one since the end of January before this race on Saturday. 
the fact that in the debut, you know, I'm not going to call it a hidden little move, but but did make up some ground in the yeah. interior fractions of the mm-hmm. race. And it's not like the horse ran against nothing. Another one who was bet down to four to one in the debut soup and sandwich, say what you will. I know he be, kind of became the butt of the jokes, like with the Derby and all that stuff. I think that horse has a, an immense amount of talent. It was just a lot to ask of him so early in his career. So to, to lose to a horse like soup and sandwich, that doesn't bother me. That, that's a really nice runner. I just didn't know what you were going to get off such a lengthy layoff, despite the fact that you've got gaudy numbers, the raw numbers, I think like 28, 30% yeah. off of this sort of layoff for Safi Joseph's barn. To your point, you couple that with a, a cooler Saratoga meet, let's say, maybe not winning at the high percentage that we've seen this barn win down in Florida or even at Belmont Park in the past. I just, this is one that I probably was never going to really have highly as far as my, my plays were concerned, but a solid enough return to the races and you would think will graduate uh, sooner than later, put it that way. What are your thoughts on asking for a basket? I'm not upset by it. And obviously with the 90s, with back-to-back 93s, I just thought this one would show more. Maybe it was a bounce with two big high numbers compared to the 63 in the debut, although it was on turf. I guess this one was always never supposed to run 110 here. Well, and that's just it. It's such a tough call because to me, the horse was either winning for fun or could potentially be a little bit on the vulnerable side because there were so many positives for this one coming into it. You brought up the paired up 93 buyers. I've gone on record a million times saying, I think that can precede a forward move. So if you thought you get into the high nineties or even you crack the triple digit number, the horse was way the horse to beat second time blinkers, I think can be almost as valuable as first time blinkers. So if you had a forward move there, you know, again, more reason to think you maybe get into the high 90, low 100 range. But then you brought up, you know, the, the even money price. I believe it was right around even money on the nose. Oh, it was eight to five. Yeah. I mean, that that probably should have said something because on paper for the horses that had run compared to this one, nobody was remotely close mm-hmm. from a speed figure standpoint. So this was one that on paper, if you just looked at what everyone else had done, and you said, if asking for a Baskin runs even back to what the, the second and third lifetime starts were, I mean, it's not just winning. It's probably winning by a pole. Yeah. Um, at eight to five, that probably should have raised a, a few red flags anyway. There's not really much else I can say about this race. Let's move on to race number four. Another maiden special weight. This time we're going on the melon one and three sixteen miles. What do we like in here, Matt? I thought Point Wild was a little interesting for Kenny McPeak. I know this, you know, sort of layoff is not one that the barn excels with, but I thought the first try on turf really wasn't all that bad down at Gulfstream at the beginning of January. You figure with that sort of natural progression from a three-year-old or a brand new turned three-year-old at that point in the year to this point here up at Saratoga, maybe you would get some sort of a forward move. The pace dynamics in New York, you never know what you're going to get on grass. (laughs) And it's not just New York anymore. It's all across the country. Uh, but there was that part of me that thought maybe they could go a decent clip. I didn't think they would go fast, fast, which I was wrong. But, I, you know, I, I thought Point Wild was at least mildly intriguing. That was that was the Philly that I wanted to give a look to. I think for me, Kenny McPeak, obviously off to the 0 for 12, but he did have the uh, the virus go through his barn. Yeah. So, I mean, I think once that happens, especially at the beginning of a meet, your whole meet is just like so confused at that point and exactly where we're going to get people to start. I ended up on Baby Blythe uh, with Suge and Joel. I always want Joel on horses that I think are going to be at least around two or three lengths off around the top of the stretch because, I mean, there's no one even close to this man when it comes to, you know, making up a length or two. Bias, no bias. I mean, I, I know everyone says he has that clunker every once in a while or just he has a good race and then a terrible race. 
But I just wanted this one in there. I thought four to one in the last race didn't hit the board, but that's small, small improvement. And the top two ran above the par. The next two were within the buyer par. So, I mean, four out of the top, four out of the nine were, I'm to me, that comes coming out of a very salty race and it was a slow pace. And it was off the layoff first start mm-hmm. in about seven or eight months. And you look and see based on what everyone else in the field had done, you have a sugar horse with a start under her belt now up at Saratoga at a distance that she's probably going to appreciate where you could, you could argue some of the other horses in the race, maybe the mile and three sixteenths wasn't going to really be to their liking. This one, uh, all indications would suggest that, you know, American Pharaoh out of a giant's causeway, you'd think she wants to run 10 miles. So um, I, I agree with you. I mean, I feel like I just wasn't sure that you were going to get the four to one. That was my big concern. And even just looking through the race, I mean, when I was looking through it, investment income for Chad and Irad, I mean, slow paced race 73. So I downgrade, especially with Monmouth. Nothing has really come out of Monmouth this meet, which I think is a major, major concern too for people when you're taking your notes. You know, look, when you see a Monmouth horse at two to one, they have not been performing up at Saratoga compared to, I think the best shippers right now are parked. I think they were 23 for 29 so far in the money, which I mean, whoever sees that, I think a couple of Finger Lakes horses have also won this meet. So, I think when everyone usually sees that B track compared to the C and D tracks that also come up, I think that Monmouth right now is a bet against and uh, tracks like parks and finger lakes. You can almost upgrade a little bit. I thought Palamos for uh, with junior and grand motion, a nice improvement obviously is the four with the four year old season, 76 and the 79 going the right way. Like the fact that at a mile and a quarter, this one at least stayed on and just missed. Uh, I have the races uh, one for four hitting the top two, uh, last place dropped to a maiden 50 and, and ran second, improving the buyer two points to a 68. Not a big stat, but just one that, you know, the nice improvement. Now we get third off the layoff, and I think this race, it all came down to what horses are doing coming off of, you know, breaks and, you know, second, third starts. She was also one, though, while she did figure in here, I looked at it and, and saw four starts, and we didn't have a massive improvement yes. as far as the figs were concerned. You had roughly 13 points from her low to her top. Uh, which made a horse like Baby Blythe that much more intriguing to me and made me, again, go back to, to Point Wild. The idea of, you know, it's it's not impossible to think that this filly, just based on that natural maturation, could improve, let's say, 10 points off, you know, making this first start Absolutely. off the bench. And that would have put her, in theory, if you're using kind of Palamos or Palamos as the barometer, that would have put her right there with her at a much more appetizing price. So, Again, from a probability standpoint, that's the reason I was leaning more toward a horse like Point Wild as opposed to a, a Palamos. It's Point Wild for Matt. It is Baby Blythe for myself. Let's see who can break their maiden right here in the fourth right now. And they're off. Mezcal going out for the lead along with Tequila. Empress Theodore is on the extreme outside. And down towards the rail is Point Wild, who is a close-up fourth. Then comes Palamos, who is next in fifth, followed by the gray baby Blythe in sixth. Investment income is seventh here. And then we come back to a fleeting glimpse. And at the uh, back of the pack is American Heiress in ninth. They swing around that clubhouse turn after an opening quarter mile in 22 and three-fifths seconds. Mescal leads here by three-quarters of a length to Killer on the outside in second. Now three-and-a-half lengths back to Empress Theodora and then five more to Point Wild, who is in fourth. Now about eight or nine lengths from the lead as they move up the backstretch. Tequila draws light alongside of Mescal. They are heads apart for the lead with Empress Theodora next in third. 
Then on the inside is Point Wild in fourth. On the outside is a Palamos who runs in fifth. Investment income down on the inside is in sixth. Baby Blythe is alongside. And at the back, the entry mates, Fleeting Glimpse and American Heiress. Half mile in 46 and three-fifth seconds. Mezcal leads here by a length. Tequila in second. Empress Theodore. There goes Baby Blythe now, making her move on the extreme outside. Baby Blythe picking off horses one by one and now going right to the front. Baby Blythe is the leader. And Mezcal is now back running in second. Empress Theodora is in third with Palamos taking fourth. Farther back investment income and fleeting glimpse. The field comes into the stretch. Three quarters in one, 11 and two. And Baby Blythe has built a four-length lead. Then Mezcal, Empress Theodora, Palamos is on the outside. It is Baby Blythe in command here. And Joel Rosario off to a big start here at Saratoga. His third win today. Baby Blythe much the best. Palamos was second and a photo for third. One. And the number five, Baby Blythe wins. 970 is the winning mutual. 90 is the buyer. We get that great improvement there. Point Wild goes down a point, but I absolutely get your point when you see 13 to 1 compared to, you know, 5 to 2. I mean, that's where if you're right and the, the odds are flipped or the placings are flipped, you know, that horse runs a good second there. And maybe you cash a nice exacta. Well, and I think the other thing, too, for me, after watching the race and watching the tape and how everything played out, you know, maybe Point Wild never is going to threaten. But with the way everything happened on the far turn, yeah. where both she and investment income were. I don't want to say impeded, but there was a horse in front of them that basically was just dropping anchor and both riders needed to, to take up and sort of, you know, find some other path to do the running in. Maybe both of them ran a little bit better than what the final, you know, if you're just looking at a chart, you're going to look at it and say, oh, disappointing performance from both of them. Well, that's why you go back and watch tape. She was probably neither of them were ever going to run with baby Blythe who looked fantastic in here, but I think probably they ran a little bit better than their fourth and seventh place finishes would suggest. I think so too. Just when you look overall at the race, you know, I guess fleeting glimpse improved eight points, but I mean, 20 points for baby Blythe and you're getting seven to two on a sugar runner. I guess a lot of people, you know, when you're going, you know, four or five deep in a pick five, this one you'll obviously have, but for those people who are playing the smaller tickets, this is almost a spot where if you have the negative stat on Chad with it being a slow paced race, you downgrade that race. I'm not saying this horse is supposed to improve 20 points every time, but this to me seems like, where you can make a little bit of plus EV. I know the EV police are out there. If you can single a seven to two shot here and what seems to be like a pretty contentious race, you can make up a lot of ground here when you're making a ticket. I think also for me with baby Blythe, when you go and you watch the tape or you look at some of the incremental splits, you know, I, I really believe that when you see horses running on the turn, that's the sign of a horse that has some talent as opposed to the horses that are just kind of going up and down and they only run really well on the straights. That's all well and good, but the horses that can either make up ground or really blow open a race rounding the mm -hmm. turn, even regardless of the fact that there was a big pace signed on in this spot, I think that's the sign of a, of a talented runner and one that could potentially continue to improve. So the fact that Baby Blythe has run now three times, you've had improvement in all three starts from a speed figure standpoint. I recognize the finish in the, the first start off the bench wasn't anything spectacular, but I'm not going to hold that against her. You're up into that range now of thinking – yeah, she had the run of the race here in this spot on Saturday, but there's no reason to think that she's all of a sudden, you know, that, that she's not nearly as good as maybe the paper would suggest. Yeah. The 90 buyer, yeah, it probably got inflated a bit because she had something to run at, but at the same time, she she ran her eyeballs out and she blew this thing open rounding the far turn. 
by the time they hit the top of the lane, nobody was going to be able to run her down. So I think she's really interesting going forward. And, and maybe she ends up being that kind of horse that we have seen time and time again for Suge that she's going to start to really show her colors over the fall. But then next year as a four-year-old, she ends up being something legit in a division that, you know, if we're calling a spade a spade, you know, me and Mary got beat on Saturday uh, yeah. in the Beverly D. It's not like you've got superstars right now, I think, in that group outside of Santa Barbara, but she's a European filly. So uh, maybe a horse like Baby Blythe next year can really be one that you're going to have to deal with as an older horse in, in the uh, the Philly and Mare Turf division. This to me, just based on the notes you have from the fourth and seventh finishers, Palamos didn't improve, but he kind of ran the same number. I think this race feels to me like a very, like what could be ending up a solid key race investment income comes back, runs like an 82 wins at like three to one for Chad. Yep. This one just feels like it could be busted wide open. Seeing how well baby, baby Blythe road or was in the race. Maybe we get two or three key winners out of here at, you know, not two to one and eight to five. Well, to your point, you may, this may be the rare instance with a Chad who, you know, again, if you, unless you watch the tape, It's just going to look like a relatively even running line. Well, I think she was actually gearing up on that far turn before she ran up on Mm -hmm. heels and they had to kind of take her off. So you may get her next out. Oh, and by the way, even with that trip, she still basically, she bettered the the debut fig. Mm -hmm. So I don't think there's any reason to think that next out with some sort of a cleaner trip that she's not going to improve into that idea. I don't know. She was two to one here in this spot. I, I can't imagine her being two to one in the next spot. I think she might be a little bit higher than that, maybe five to two or three to one. And at that point, again, Chad, in theory, it'll be a rad. If it's not a rad, it's probably Jose. Um, I think that probably is a a logical one that you want to circle. And, you know, with, with McPeak's runner, I'm sure some people will look at it and say, she, you know, she just hasn't improved. She's run three consecutive mid 60 to high 60 buyers. I don't know. Uh, She's the kind of horse that I think can totally get lost in the shuffle in her next start at 25 to one. And maybe she doesn't win, but she hits the board. And if you're somebody that plays exact as a tries or even a super, she's one that can kind of inject some value, I think. So second off the bench, I, I still want to see what Point Wild can do in her next start. Let's move on to race number nine, the grade two Saratoga special six and a half on the dirt. Before we ask you for who you like, Matt, just with these two-year-old races, I mean, everyone talks about, you know, graded stake this, graded stake that. I, I I'm okay with a grade two here. I just kind of wish that they would at least run some type of allowance races for these horses to where it's not, because it's not really a grade two. It's all allowance breakers. Maybe you have one allowance winner in there, and it's just, it's so hard for me to say like, oh, this is a legit grade two field. Well, I mean, there's a real scenario in which two years from now, we look back and you go, half of these horses never got any better. (laughs) And they ran in graded stakes races. You know, even some of the graded stakes winners that we've seen as two-year-olds over the past handful of years, they ended up being 80 buyer types, which, Mm -hmm. you know, that's fine. A useful horse, but I don't see an 80 buyer and think, you know, that's a grade two winner. So to your point, you know, I guess the only thing that I'm really happy about is that this year specifically at Saratoga, these two-year-old graded stakes have had massive fields. Yes. And it's it's been very, very, from a gambling standpoint, I think, and also from a seasoning standpoint. I don't know how much these horses learn when they run against five-horse fields or six-horse fields. Yeah. When you get a full field, you get some of these horses that need to overcome some adversity, and the ones that do, I think – you know, there, there's something to be said about getting an education while you're out there, as opposed to just being far superior, running against five others. You're parked out in the clear the whole way and you just blow the doors off the field. There's something to be said about being able to work out a trip against, you know, we'll find out. Maybe it's a good group. Maybe it's a subpar group. But 
I, I like the fact at least that they've been big full fields. For me in this race, I kind of just ended up uh, Dr. Jeff for me. Rudy Rod hasn't had, you know, the best meet. 12% I think is pretty average for him for this. Race is coming off the turf in the debut win. Joel stays. I always look at those off the turf races as maybe a little bit weaker than they should. But again, bullet workout, 59 and 3. Usually when we see that from two-year-olds, they maybe are ready to take a step forward. Especially, it's one of the old angles, uh, winning race and then big big workout afterwards. So I kind of just thought this one was very interesting. Ended up going off at, you know, as the favorite. But just one that I was just super interested in. Not, not that anything else didn't really amaze me. I thought Gunnett, obviously, never missing the board. But always being that short price, a little bit interesting for Asmussen and Santana. Obviously, being by Gunrunner, we know how good he's going to be as a sire and just absolutely blowing the doors off so far. You know, I thought Dylan's runner with uh, Tom Amos was a little bit interesting. Small improvement in the grade three, but thought one first time out closing into a fast pace. I thought this one could be a little bit interesting as well. I ended up and, you know, we'll talk about sort of the the after thoughts after the race is, is gone. But Glacial was where I went in here. And it was simply because I thought you were going to get a much higher price than you should on a horse that I thought the Bashford Manor was effectively a line out, but really was a much better performance than the third place finish would suggest because of the wicked pace that was signed on. Mm -hmm. I hoped that he was going to be forwardly placed beneath Tyler. And I don't think it's anything that Tyler did wrong, but I, I, I fell into a trap where this is a horse who has had trouble getting out of the gate in both starts and at six furlongs against some other horses that have legitimate early foot, you got to break alertly. If you're going to yeah. procure that position and we talked about it, the six furlong races or the six and a half furlong even on the main track, you'd rather be forward than coming from off of it. And, you know, maybe that's not the only reason that I was incorrect, but, you know, I, I just thought Glacial was one that I wanted to kind of get tied into it at what should be a better than average kind of price. I think when we talk about the old two-year-old races at Saratoga, I feel like over the last couple of years, we've just had super, super short prices that seem to always succeed and just run well, except for maybe one or two spots. And just looking overall at the field, I mean, Nakatomi for Wesley. I've, we've always made, I've always made the joke. I want Wesley in April, not in July. Mm -hmm. And a couple scratches in the race obviously hurt, but Mike Maker's been so red hot. He's got a restricted New York or restricted maiden special weight winner. Why can't this horse win it with a 71 buyer and showing early, early pace. And I think that it comes down to when you have these type of races, the a bias does play a little bit more effect here in these two-year-old races because, oh, there's going to be four horses going to the lead. Well, who can be, you know, I mean, that fourth, fifth, sixth spot that can, you know, get a nice clean run and, you know, not have to worry about the closers coming so much as because the bias will aid them to push them a little bit farther forward. Yeah, and, and there is still something to be said about uh, precocity and, and who yeah. who is the most precocious of the precocious. Because, I mean, in theory, they're all precocious. They're all here in a graded stake in their second or third lifetime start. But who at this point – so when you look at a horse like Dr. Jeff, you know, you're right, off the turf, I'm always a little, little gun shy there. But with the way the horse won on yeah. debut, basically geared down for the final eighth of a mile, the ears are up, is already put four on the field. That's the sort of horse that I understand anyone that looked at him and said, you know what, he just may be the goods right now. Down the road, I have no idea if he's going to end up being anything. But right now, th this may be the one that you want, as opposed to a horse who, well, like, let's use Double Thunder as the example. Not a bad runner by any stretch of the imagination, but be uh, what I'm going to call kind of a meh, field going four and a half at Monmouth, just simply better than those horses, and then took advantage of a wild pace scenario yeah. in the Bashford Manor. 
in all likelihood, you're not going to end up getting a situation where you're, well, A, you're taking on better horses this time around, but B, given the likely running style that this one possessed, you need to be so far superior to these horses that you're running against to have a real chance to get the job done. So that's why I can understand anyone that looks at a horse like Dr. Jeff or any of the other horses, uh, Gunite, who's going to be forwardly placed as opposed to a double thunder, who's probably going to have to come from six, seven, eight out of it. And in fact, it was even farther than that here in this spot. For me, it was Dr. Jeff for Matt. It was glacial. Let's see if we can get this grade two right now. And they're off. Going out for the lead is a Dr. Jeff. Dr. Jeff, dance code is there. Gunite is down at the rail. Ottoman Empire is in fourth. And then comes High Oak, who is next running in fifth. Nakatomi is down at the rail in sixth position, followed by Stolen Base in seventh, then two lengths to a Glacial, who is racing in eighth. On the outside is Red Run in ninth, and trailing the field is Double Thunder in tenth. Gunite and Dr. Jeff, and they are heads apart for the lead through a quarter 21 and four-fifth seconds, and the two-year-olds go around the far turn. High Oak sits just off the front two in third. And then it's Nakatomi, who's down at the rail, and Dance Code is alongside, followed by Stolen Base in sixth as the field comes for the quarter pole, three of them across. It is Gunite. It is Dr. Jeff, and on the outside, High Oak, then Nakatomi in fourth, a half, 44 and four-fifths seconds as they pass the three-sixteenths pole. And here is High Oak now to take over the lead inside the eighth pole. High Oak, then Gunite, followed by Dr. Jeff and Nakatomi. It is High Oak on the way to victory in the Saratoga Special. And the number 11, High Oak, gets it done. 22-40 is the winning mutual. 90 is the winning buyer. And just to really get back with Double Thunder, what you were saying, I think this horse is kind of a double setup horse. Slow pace first race, fast pace closing, gets the job bo- done both ways. Can he ever face adversity? This one improved his buyer again as well, though, 68. Not saying he's the goods, but this one might be a little bit interesting down the road and possibly underneath spots as we get into the later two-year-old and you know early three-year-old season. I mean, I talk about it all the time. I would rather see incremental improvement unless it is just all of a sudden just a, a really substantial performance, which mm-hmm. we'll talk about from High Oak. But I typically like to see the this five to six to seven to even 10 point jumps from yeah. start to start with the inexperienced or the lightly raced runners. So to that point, Double Thunders improved four buyer points in each of the starts. Uh, again, to your point, not a superstar right now, but who is to say, you don't continue to get progression later on through the two-year-old season and into the early three-year-old campaign, but well, and even Gunite. I mean, you've seen the the incremental improvements that in the most recent start we had that roughly call it an eight-point jump from seventy-three to the eighty-one earned here, running okay. second in behind High Oak. High Oak goes against what I'm talking about, but it was such a substantial performance that I'm very quickly. I, I didn't love the the maiden score, and we'll talk about that, but I. I thought this was a big league performance from this horse. Uh, out of every single type of trainer I can talk about, like I obviously know like Rob Atras, Theodore are good on dirt. Pletcher, good on dirt. Chad, obviously good on turf. Bill Mott, to me, is so much someone who can win on both surfaces that I am never, ever properly right about his horses, and it absolutely drives me insane. And And I fall into a bad, bad habit of just making, coming to my opinion and sticking to it so when I watched that debut at Belmont back on June 26th, I'm, I'm watching High Oak wins what's effectively a five horse photo, which to me on dirt is never <laughs> yeah. a positive. So I'm like, mm, okay, not great. But at the same time, to be fair, 
rallying from off the pace again in a first career start that to me is always something that that you should earn some bonus points yeah. for the fact that you've shown an ability and a willingness to go buy other horses and also when you factor in that it's bill mott and I, that to me i probably should have given this one a little bit more of a look but this performance on saturday I, not just because the fig came back really really strong i, I loved everything i saw I, I love the fact that this one wasn't totally outrun early on, was up among the leaders, not outright on the lead, but close enough that you can take advantage. You're not outrun early on. Much more tactical speed, I would say, than we saw in that career debut. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the pedigree, I don't see any reason why we're not going to have a horse that continues to improve as the distance gets longer. You know, the solid, the gallop out, I thought was pretty solid in this start here. Um, I, I'm sure some people will roll their eyes. And it's not an apples to apples comparison because it was his career debut when he won so brilliantly. Uh, but tis the law. Yeah. Th- this horse reminds me a little bit of tis the law from the way in which he won. Granted, again, tis the laws was his maiden score that he earned that 90, I believe it was. And he, he was much more brilliant, I think, than High Oak was. But just overall, from a number standpoint, a running style standpoint, if you remember tis the law's debut, he was down inside and amongst horses. And the junior got him out into the clear and he just kicked away from everyone. This horse was out in the clear for the most part, but I still love the way that he finished and he gave off the impression that added ground at the very least out to a one-turn mile isn't going to be a problem. So I know Mott has not gone on record as to saying where they're going to go with this one. Based on the timing of the year, I'd be surprised if they wheeled him back for the hopeful, but I I would have to assume the champagne is next up. That would be a, yeah. a very logical stepping stone to a race like the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, I would, one would think anyway. I think so too. Just looking overall, and we, we talked about earlier in an earlier race, strong strong race, quicker workout, and yep. it's so funny when you see these parameters or these like little angles, and they work for one race, and it's like, oh, I had the winner in this race, and then five races later, the the bigger shot is this horse, and the horse has the same type of angle. And you're like, ah, I'm not gonna use that angle this race, and it ends up being the the one that has a twenty dollar winner, and. Like I said, Junior is probably one of the most, for me, underrated riders when it comes to the turf. I usually like to use him and Jose Lescano a lot. My, my, he's my dad's favorite rider. And it's just funny how with me, I just cannot get Mott runners. Um, I, I would say, like, I can't even say the one that really I've ever had a good angle or good idea that this one won't run well. It's just when Mott wins, I usually lose. <laughs> That's fair. And look, we all have those trainers and those jockeys that, for whatever reason, when you don't believe they win and when you do believe they run last, it just, for whatever reason, it happens. The other thing that I thought was interesting with high Oak in hindsight at mm-hmm. the time, for whatever reason, I was like, man, no big deal. Uh, the most recent workout I believe was the one that came with Casa Creed. Yeah. Who we know Casa Creed is a legitimate graded stakes caliber runner, grade one caliber runner. Yeah. So for a two-year-old to be thrown in, we always talk about it with workouts, paying attention to, who is actually riding in the morning. If it's a rad aboard one of Todd's horses or one of Chad's horses, you know, a rad and Jose and, and the big riders and, and Johnny at this point, especially in his career, they don't need to be working the horses in the morning, unless yeah. it's something that they genuinely believe in. When you also couple that sort of thing with who they're keeping company with, you can really glean a lot about what the connections and the trainer actually thinks. If they're going to run a two-year-old who's raced one time, if they're going to work him in company with a grade one older horse, there's got to be something there. So I whiffed on that one, but that's definitely an angle 
that people should keep in the back of their mind. Don't just look and see who is aboard for the workout. Look and see who the workmate is. And even if it's not a name that you're familiar with, go and, and do a little bit of research and find out what are they capable of? Yeah. Are they sort of a, a, a career maiden? Well, maybe that's not a great sign. Or are they, uh, you know, a graded stakes runner? And you are talking about an inexperienced two-year-old. That, that's probably a vote of confidence for what they think of this one. Let's move into the last race of the pod. Race number 10, the grade one four-star Dave Handicap. One mile on the inner. What do we like in here, Matt? I hated the race, frankly, going into it. I just I, I didn't love any of the short prices in here. I, I thought Whisper Knot was intriguing simply because it was Richie Baltus shipping in from California. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in theory, there are other opportunities that you could have looked for. I get it. Not grade one variety, but for the fact that they shipped this one out here and it was a horse who has some early foot. And we've talked about it ad nauseum. The turf races in New York typically just don't have any kind of speed in there. I wasn't I also wasn't convinced that blowout had the kind of gas with another horse in there that was a genuine speed, like Whisper Not. I wasn't totally sure that Blowout would be able to clear off to the front the way, you know, that she ultimately ended up doing so. But I ended up going with Whisper Not. I've never liked Raging Bull. I don't trust them the slightest. He has days where he ends up looking like a legitimate grade one runner. And I know he does have a grade one to his name, but I've, I, I just don't trust him in the slightest. And then you look at Set Piece, as, as impressive as he's been, I, always, I thought it was just odd that Brad Cox had handled him as conservatively as he did. Yeah. It took a long time for them to get him back into a graded stakes race. And look, his wise damn was really, really impressive. He got a brilliant ride from Flo. But I, I don't know. I kind of looked at that as a, a sign of they don't really know if he's actually this caliber or not. So you take those two out of it. Casa Creed, brilliant going shorter. Good at a mile, but I don't think he's really a proper grade one miler. I think he's a grade one sprinter. I think that's what he wants. I think his last two races, the elusive quality and the Jiper proved that. Mm-hmm. And then with the mares, I thought they were all kind of, you know, they had question marks. Daddy yeah. is a legend. Yeah. She, she rebounded in a big way in that most recent start to just a game, but that was her best race in, in quite literally years. You go back to got stormy. I, I thought maybe her best days were behind her. I, I'm not totally convinced that she's going to be able to step with these types. And I've already alluded to my thoughts about blowout. So by default, I kind of ended up with Whisper Not in this spot. Which is almost, in a way, when you can just eliminate horses that you're just like, oh, my race is easy. This race should take me half an hour. I know who I want already in five minutes. Now time to move on to the next race. Exactly. For, for me with Raging Bull, and I, I do the picks for uh, for ABR with a bunch of uh, Mike Samich, Naomi, John Piasek. John was able to get me on the uh, the panel this year. And <laughs> somebody tweeted, and you got to love this, the tweets. And I don't mean any mouse if the guy listens to the show, but it was just funny. He goes... It's like it pretty much if anybody doesn't have Raging Bull on top, like they're incompetent or something be around there. And I, I said, look, the the horse obviously can win. For some reason, he's 0 for 2 in this race in the last two years, and he hasn't even hit the board. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a key, but to me, when a specifically horse like this that we know is going to take a ton of money, for some reason, every year in August cannot hit the board in this race. Maybe that's his lull period where he just doesn't want to run. I have no idea. And every, And my friend said, he ran 104 against Scott Stormy two years ago. I mean, that's not really a bad race. I said, yeah, we didn't hit the board in a race that probably the buyer was way over elevated than we're normally used to seeing. So I didn't want him. I ended up on blowout. Obviously, I just thought, you know, gun to the lead, hopefully win. And I said the only thing missing was not Joel, but having, you know, Flavian Proud on. That would have made this horse, you know, probably three to five in the spot with him on with him on a speed horse on the grass. Uh, Daddy is a legend I thought was interesting for second. And I used Casa Creed for third just because... 
I mean, I understand where we're talking about with the diaper and with the elusive quality, but I just thought, you know, just get a piece. I, I only had him for third, you know, for sure. Uh, the, the Raging Bull thing, I, I totally am with you. I just feel like this horse, everyone thinks this horse is the next, you know, maybe not Wise Dan, but every time this horse races, you just see bet and bet and bet. And I guess he was 7-2 to two in the maker's mark, but he won that race. And then, look, he's, you know, just misses to Alexander in the next race in a race he probably should have won. Well, and I think the other thing, too, for me, that's always a bit of a, I don't want to call it a red flag, but when Chad makes multiple changes, so if you go back throughout this horse's career PPs for the longest time, they didn't have blinkers on. Then they put the blinkers on. Yeah. And yeah, his, his figs improved, but he really didn't turn into a wind machine. And then he kind of plateaued and Chad took the blinkers back off. Chad Brown is someone who, when he makes a move, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. So for him to be making, I don't want to call them continuous moves, but basically on off, on off sort of thing. That to me signifies that he, he doesn't, he knows he's not getting the most consistent version of this horse and for him to lay the eggs that he's had that he has in some instances at short prices, he's just the sort of type to me that unless he's even in the Breeders' Cup mile last year at 12 to 1, he did nothing for me. Yeah. And I I know I sound like I'm just bashing him because like he can't run. He's a multiple grade one winner. Keep that in mind. It's all in perspective. But I, I just he just never has done it for me. He can win races. I think he's a good horse, but that's about it. I don't think he's he is way down the list on Chad's runners over the past five years. Yeah. Four, me, it is blowout four. Matt is whisper not. Let's see if we can get the grade one here at good old Saratoga right now. And they're off. A good beginning for Raging Bull from the inside post, but there goes blowout from the outside to grab the lead. And whisper not is now hustled up to challenge. Blowout the leader, whisper not, is racing in second. As the field goes into the turn, got stormy is next in third. Up front, it is Blowout the leader by two. Whisper Not runs in second, and Got Stormy is next in third. And then it is Field Pass, who is racing in fourth. Back in fifth is Raging Bull. Then on the outside is Casa Creed in sixth. Followed by Daddy is a Legend in seventh. And the trailer is Set Piece in eighth. They continue midway up the backstretch through a first quarter in 23 and two-fifth seconds. And the mayor, Blowout. Steps away here to lead by two and a half lengths. Whisper Not is second by three. Got Stormy is down on the inside with Field Pass right there in fourth. The half one in 46 and three. The favorite, Raging Bull, is down at the hedge and in fifth. About six lengths off the lead. Casa Creed is now making a move on the outside. Then comes Daddy is a legend and set pace. The field is at the top of the stretch. Here is Whisper Not up to challenge. Blowout for the lead. Got Stormy. Ranges up on the outside. It is Got Stormy who has now come away with the lead. Got Stormy is in front as they come down for the 16th pole. She's in front here by two. A late run on the outside from set piece. But Got Stormy has won the grade one for Star Day. And the quote unquote forgotten Philly, the one who everyone says is over the hill. Number six, Scott Stormy, $27 winner, 104 buyer. I mean, it's like we're back in the past two years watching this Philly win again. And everyone goes on the, on the ABR feed. Anyone have this horse on top? No one does. And it's like, I, I've said it multiple times in her career. She's done. She's got to be done. And then this happens. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I, I thought she had lost the step. And I, I mean, I, I think Mark Cassie does a great job and, I think he still, despite the fact that he's a Hall of Famer, somehow kind of flies under the radar yeah. as far as the big trainers are concerned. But 
when they made the move to to shorten her up last year to the sprint races, I thought that was, okay, maybe this will kind of elongate or sort of give her a little bit more longevity mm-hmm. from a career standpoint because she clearly can't do it at a flat mile against the best of the best anymore. And look, she, she racked up a couple of victories going shorter. But when they stretched her back out this year, even all of her numbers by any metric, she had slowed down. So yeah. I really, there was no way that I really saw this coming other than the fact that she loves really, really firm turf and she loves Saratoga. Yeah, she's three for four, four for four in the exacta. The firmer going, the better for her. Um, she hopped to her left lead at the wire. The figs are really good. I don't, I still don't know that I totally buy that she's a Breeders' Cup, you know, runner. Mm. But, you know, if she can back this up with one more big effort, maybe I'll have to reconsider my stance. But um, I, I'm happy for her. I mean, look, she's, yeah. She's a really, really, I, I don't want to say underrated, but some of the races that she's run throughout her career have been exceptional performances. I just don't know that I still think that's what she is at this point. I think she loved everything on Saturday. I think she took advantage of a field that I think you and I would agree was kind of, uh, I don't want to say lackluster, but Suspect. maybe no, yeah, no, no, no superstars. Yeah. Um, and, and she got the job done. And, and if this is the final, if this is her Phil Mickelson PGA championship, I will say, yes, round of applause. I'm happy for you. If she can come back and do something else big one more time, even better. But I, I don't know that I'm going to be betting on it. Uh, I tend to agree with you there. I was right with Casa Creed getting third, 100 buyer for him, 101 for set piece. Literally just keeps running the same exact race over and over and over again. But, I mean, when you want to be consistent, I guess that's fine when you're when you're just cashing grade one checks. Yeah, no, I mean, don't get me wrong. Another nice performance from this horse. I, it still leaves me... Leaves me wanting a little bit as to yeah. far as far as what he actually is. You know, he's almost falling into the raging bull category where you've got the figs, you've run good races in the past. I don't know that I trust you at a short price. Granted, he went off at a larger number than I thought he would in this spot. I really thought he was going to get bet down more, um, and I believe he ended up going off somewhere around four to one. Yep. So that 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 was a little bit of a, a surprising move in the big picture for me. But uh, yeah, I just I look at this field and I go, I, I don't really know what I want to do with any of them coming out of it. Daddy is a legend. Didn't have the cleanest trip down on the inside, but it's been well-documented that the inside paths were actually kind of favorable. You're in a good position down there with the rail coming down. So I don't know how much I want to upgrade the performance from her. Um, It's just a race as a whole that when they come back, that'll be the, the telltale where if they all start running giant, giant races out of it. Great. Maybe the race is better than I thought at first glance right now. I'm, I'm a little bit reluctant to, to totally buy into the form of this race. I, th- I think exactly what you said. When you look back at this race rating bowl, we've talked about grade one winner, but for some reason can't get it done in the four-star. Casa Creed's a grade one winner sprinting. Got Stormy obviously has won this race before. I just wonder if maybe she just, it wasn't just that she's getting better, but just the circumstances allowed this one to uh, get the job done. And I, 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 not to go on a tangent this late in the podcast, but when she lost to Uni, when Uni had only had four starts compared to her, whatever it was, eight or nine starts in the Eclipse, this is why the Eclipse pissed me off so much because I don't care if a horse goes three for three on the year because they need six months off between every start. I understand that some horses do, and I understand that's why you don't run them back. But horses that have multiple starts should be able to get like that extra little bump in the Eclipse. Yeah, I mean, look, it's one of those things that I, I do respect the fact that she shows up and, and she's run as much as she has. I mean, she's run 30 times. Yeah as a multiple grade one winner, that's, that's something to, to be sort of, you know, applauded. I mean, we, we, I wish we had more horses that, that, you know, 
that could do that sort of thing. This day and age, it doesn't really happen very frequently. So that's why it's a race where I was wrong. And no, I did not have her, but I, I couldn't be more happy for her and the connections. I thought this was a, a fantastic result for everyone involved. It doesn't mean, though, again, this is where the cold-hearted piece comes in, where you need to be objective about mm-hmm. things. I'm still not convinced that she's back or she's as good as she once was, despite the fact that the fig would suggest she's every bit as good as she once was. I tend to agree with you right there. That is all the time we have for this podcast. I want to thank Matt Brainer for coming on for a solid hour-long podcast, one of my favorites I've ever done, I would have to say. Thank you so much. Where can people find you on social media? At Bernier underscore Matt on Twitter, and you can find the podcast up at the beginning of every week. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, man. I want to thank all the wonderful listeners for this show and all the rest on the In The Money Media Network, and as well, my special guest, Matt Brainer, for coming on and doing with a little bit of, you know, editing snafu. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's president is Pierre Thomas Florentel. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. And our In The Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time.